morning. It's from the first chapter of the Gospel of John, beginning in the 35th verse. The next day again John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets, prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Now that we have heard God's word read, let us join together and confess our sins. Our Father. Let's return to the scripture that we read just a few moments ago with Blake from John chapter 1, beginning with verse 35 through 51. This is a different kind of message this morning. It only has one big point. We'll get to it right at the end, hopefully build to it during the message. But we've read this morning from John 1 about <clears throat> Jesus' interaction, first interaction that he had with the core of his disciples. And instead of just saying, here's three points, we're going, this is more like a Bible study. We're going to work through this interchange and this exchange between John the baptizer and his disciples and Jesus and the disciples that John sent to him and just see the interactions. There's so much here that it's just, if you do a cursory reading and just, you, you'll miss it. And so I, I spent the week, uh, I spent the last two weeks uh, going through this and said, this is, we just, we must look at this. So before we do, let's pray and ask the Father to teach us. 
Our Father, we bow before you as your priests. And as always, we come in thanksgiving for how you've heard our prayers, how you've blessed it, how you've brought healing. This morning we pray for Cynthia Jaqua, that you would continue to heal her and keep her from any kind of complications, Father. We pray that during this week that healing would become complete. Our Father, we thank you that Tom Edwards is here this morning, and we thank you for the healing that you have brought to him over these last few months and over these last few weeks. We pray that you would continue and that there would be no sign of this cancer left. Our Father, we thank you for Carol Reddit that she's here this morning and for the healing you've brought to her. We thank you for the healing and the blessing you gave to Claire Reddit this week and for the success of, of that surgery. We pray for Sidney Wickens, Father, that you would, Father, that, that's been a long ordeal. We pray that you would bring healing in the treatment that she would receive this week. We pray that this would solve her problem. Now, as we open your word, we pray that you, we would hear your voice in our hearts. Speak to every one of us, no matter how young, no matter how old. Father, I cannot speak. John Sartell cannot speak. Soda will make any difference in our lives. But we've heard your voice in this room, and it's made a difference in our lives. It's changed us. We're not the same people that we were. And so we pray in these next few minutes that we would hear your voice, that you would teach us, that we would walk away in a few minutes knowing that you have spoken to us. We're just your children, Father, and returning like children do to their father and saying, teach us, Father, teach us for the glory of Christ. Amen. Some fishermen from the boonies went to Judah and then changed the world. Well, if you're going to understand this passage and what's taking place here, you must have a sense of the geography of where the boonies are and where Judah is. The core of these disciples, Peter, John, Andrew, James, came from the northern part of Israel, part of Israel called Galilee. It was around the Sea of Galilee. They were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. The capital of Israel was in the south, in Judah, about 100 miles south in Judah, in the Jerusalem area. That's where John the Baptist's ministry was centered, but not in the city of Jerusalem. As we've seen, he was not a city minister. He was not a city preacher. He came out of the wilderness and he preached on the edge of the wilderness. He preached the Jordan River. And people came, as we saw, by the thousands and thousands and thousands, not just from all over Israel, but from all over the empire, to hear this man. That's the geography. When we talk about the those fishermen, they were out in the boonies. Uh, 
and they came south to Jerusalem probably to sell their fish. It was 100 miles or so. Uh, and they were involved and had become, all of them had become involved in the ministry of John the Baptist. He was their rabbi, as we'll see this morning. Now, several of you asked me last week about how Jesus' encounter with John the baptizer and Jesus calling his disciples fit into the same story as the other gospels. You see in the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus first calls the disciples in Galilee. There's nothing about this encounter down in Judah. But remember their gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written before John. John knew what was in those gospels. And as we said that first Sunday, four weeks ago, when we started this study, John was intentionally filling in the spaces that Matthew, Mark, and Luke left out. He didn't contradict. He just filled in the empty spaces. For instance, he didn't tell the story of the, the birth of Christ with angels and, and Mary and uh, Joseph and Bethlehem. Uh, he spoke about it theologically. There was the word in the beginning and the word became flesh. He's talking about the incarnation. So he gives a different perspective. Well, then how does this fit? And several of you asked me about this. That's, you know, Jesus went to the wilderness for 40 days, didn't he? That's what we learned from Matthew and, and, and Luke. He went into the wilderness and fasted and did battle with Satan. Where does that fit in? Well, let's, let's put a timeline to it. When that leads up to where we are this morning. Jesus was a Messiah of Israel. He knew that. He knew who he was. John the baptizer was what? He was preparing Israel for the coming of the Messiah. There was a huge revival taking place. We're going to see he's not only preparing the nation, he was preparing the disciples, but that's later. So Jesus, it's natural for Jesus to come to John and say, I want you to baptize me, to anoint me for the ministry of being a Messiah, being the Messiah of Israel. So John anoints him, and that's when the heavens opened, and the Father said, this is my beloved son. Everyone could hear it. And that's when the dove came down and rested. And that's on, on Jesus and at the Holy Spirit. That's when John the baptizer knew that for sure is a Messiah. That's when it was confirmed. Well, Jesus immediately leaves and he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. He's tempted. He faces Satan, fasted, and he returns. And when he returned, He's coming out of the wilderness. John the Baptist is preaching to one of the great crowds. And he sees Jesus and he said, there, there, look, behold, there he is, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. And that brings us to the text this morning down to verse 35. Your Bible probably labels this passage. Jesus calls the first disciples. I would rather, I would change that. 
I would say, his disciples' first encounter with Jesus. But what you could say about it all, and this is where we'll end this morning, it's just all about Jesus. That's what this chapter is. Let's see if that's true. The very next day, after John points to him coming out of the wilderness and says, there's the Lamb of God, there's the Son of God. He's talking with two of his disciples like you talk to your friends. This is, he's not preaching. It's not a Sunday school class. It's not a huge crusade. It's just two disciples of John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, and John the Baptist. And Jesus walks by. And John sees him. He says, look, guys, there's the Lamb of God. There's the Son of God. Now, if you're standing there, talking to John the baptizer and the Messiah of all of Israel walks by. They, Israel for centuries had looked for this person. These two disciples had been weaned from childhood on there's a Messiah coming and he walks by within a few feet and it's the son of God. What are you going to do? They just turned, we're out of here. They followed, they followed Jesus. Now you know if you're walking down the street in your neighborhood and you're walking along and somebody falls in behind you, you know it, don't you? And somebody starts following you. And Jesus saw them following. He knew who they were. And he turns. And he says, what, do you, what are you seeking? What do you want? Their answer, they didn't answer the question. They didn't tell him what they wanted. I don't think they knew. This was the side of Israel. We're going to follow. And so they simply said, Rabbi, where are you? Where, where are you going? Where are you staying? Where are you staying? Now, remember, John the baptizer had been their rabbi. You probably hadn't thought about him as a rabbi. John, John had a lot of disciples. And we're not talking about just the crowds coming here. I mean, a center core of disciples. He had them. And these two men were part of them. But they called Jesus Rabbi. Where you stay? And what did Jesus say? It's great. I love this phrase. He said, come and see. Come on. Come and see. So they go with Jesus and spend the day with him. Now, we need to make two notes right here. The first is that Jesus wanted them to come with him. Now, go back to a minute. This is the Messiah of all of Israel. This man is bigger than the president of the United States. All right? Bigger than the king or queen of England. The Lamb of God, the Son of God. Who were these two men? They were not on the A-list of the celebrities of Israel. These two men were from the boonies. They weren't a part of the power structure of Jerusalem. They were fishermen. They were not part of Jerusalem society. Yet the Messiah of Israel, he had time. He, he said, 
You heard John. He didn't say. You heard John say who I was. Do you think I've got time for this? He didn't say that. Come on. I'll show you. And he spent the day. He spent the day with them. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a part of that conversation? When I get home, I'm going to say, John, why in the world did you put that conversation in your gospel? Now, John, remember, we read it last week and the week before. John said several times in his gospel, he said, these are not, this, this does not contain all that Jesus said and did. He said that would take volumes to write. He left this conversation out. But what's encouraging about it as we look at the book of John, though, is that if he didn't put that in as important as we think it would have been, what he put in is terribly, terribly significant. He was writing, if you, if you want to look at the book of the Gospel of John rightly, he's looking at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and he's writing about the essentials that they left out or that they didn't put, or he's saying it another way. So it's, it's like you can't look at, it, it reminds us, you can't look at the rest of John's gospel and think, well, that's unimportant. John said, this is huge. But our point is, Jesus wanted these plebeian men, these commoners, these men from the boonies, come with them. He wanted them to come with him. Secondly, we need to know that the unnamed, who the unnamed disciple was with Andrew. Did you notice that? It says two men. One of them's Andrew. He names him. But who's this other guy? Scholars strongly believe, really strongly believe, it was John. The brother of James. Close friends with Andrew and Peter. You need to know, well, why didn't he say so? Well, you need to know this about the Gospel of John. John never used his own name in the gospel. When he was speaking about something in which he was involved, he didn't use his own name. He mentions the other disciples by name. Remember, but he's mentioned another way. Remember at the resurrection, the women come in and say the tomb's empty. And two disciples get up and run to the tomb. Who was it? You're saying immediately, Peter and John. Well, it named Peter. It did name John. It says the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how John referred to himself. And that, that's used five times near the end of the book of John. It's in the last week of the ministry of Jesus at the cross and, and after the resurrection. Several times he's mentioned as a disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, was that John? Remember at the cross, Jesus said to the disciple whom Jesus loved, Behold your mother. And he's pointing to Mary, and he's telling John to take care of Mary. And he says to Mary, Behold your son, pointing to John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Tradition tells us that history tells us that John took care of Mary for the rest of her life. She was in Ephesus with him when he was there. He looked after her until she died. There are many reasons why this just has to be John. How else would you know the details of this if it wasn't for John? I mean, there were only three people involved that day when they met Jesus, Andrew, and John. 
So it had to be John. How would you know the details? And he's very specific. It's, it's all through the Gospels. He's very specific about times. Like, why did he say there that it was about the 10th hour? Because <laughs> he was there and he knew what time it was. It was about the 10th hour. I remember that. Four o'clock in the afternoon. They measured time from uh, sunrise. The hours began then and this was four o'clock. Tenth hour. He knew the time. So we have Jesus, Andrew, and John. Well, Andrew responds to being with Jesus by immediately finding his brother, Simon. Simon, we found the Messiah. Well, why does he call him Simon? This is Peter, isn't it? Yes, but he didn't yet have that name. He had never been called Peter in his life. Never. He got a new name that day. So Jesus sees him coming. And he says, I know you. You're Simon Barjona. Simon, son of John. Have, when you've met somebody, has they ever said, have they ever said, you know, your name may be Sam, but you're more, more like a Phil, so I'm going to call you Phil. Has anybody ever done that to you? Hadn't done it to me. You'd be offended, wouldn't you? Well, Jesus looked at Peter. <laughs> he said, I'm not calling you Simon. Simon Barjona said, you are Cephas. By the way, it reminds me of my younger brother, Mike, that's home in glory now. But when he was in high school, mom and dad moved. And from Bristol, Virginia to Bristol, Tennessee, he started going to Tennessee High School. And people started, his name was Harry Michael. He'd always gone by Mike. And people started calling the house. Is Harry there? And we just hung up the phone. Said, you know, we don't, there's not a Harry that lives here. And finally, after a week of this, we were looking at each other and said, what is this? There's a guy named Harry out there giving his phone, our phone number out. And Mike finally raised his hand. He said, well, when I went to Tennessee High, they asked my name. I said, I'm Harry. His name was Harry Michael. He just picked up the name Harry. His high school friends just still called him Harry. Well, Jesus said, you're going to be Cephas. Cephas is Aramaic. That's a language that they spoke every day. It was like Hebrew. Cephas meant stone and rock. The Greek word for that was Peter, Petros, rock. So he became Cephas, or Simon, Peter. The word, why did Jesus do that? The word, the name Simon meant one who listens. Uh, look at verse 4, and Jesus looked at him and said, You're Simon the son of John, you should be called Cephas, which means Peter. The Cephas means rock or stone. Peter means rock or stone. Why? Simon means the one who listens. One who's constantly listening to the world around him and reacting to it. Remember when Simon, when Peter, was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus? 
He's with James and John. Jesus is transfigured and has the glory that he has in heaven. He's bright shining as a sun and he's speaking with Moses and Elijah. And Peter is just overwhelmed by this. And so afterward, Peter says, Jesus, we've got to build three tabernacles right here, right now. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And we just, when we heard that, we just laughed. That was, that was the way Peter was. He, he would hear and he would react he, you know, to the world around him. Remember when he was in the courtyard, Jesus had been arrested and it was being tried. Peter was right there. It was a fearsome time. By the way, John was there too. And a lady looked at Peter and said, you're one of his disciples. And he heard it. No, 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 no. No, I'm not. Well, what Jesus was saying was, Simon, you're one who listens to the world. You listen to what's going on around you. But you're going to become the rock, the immovable rock. You're going to become the anchor. So now we have Jesus, Andrew, John, Peter involved with Jesus. They're all fishermen. They all live in the same town in the boonies. The next day, we read that Jesus wanted to return to Galilee. And it says he wanted to return to Galilee, and he found Philip. Now, we don't know whether he found Philip down in Judah. That's what I think. It would have been natural for Philip to be hanging out with John and Peter and Andrew. And that Jesus just naturally found him that way. Or whether it found him on the way back to Galilee, that hundred mile trek. Or whether he found him after he got in Galilee. But that's not important. What is important that this is the first person in this first chapter that is sought by Jesus himself. No one brought him. John the baptizer pushed Andrew and John toward Jesus. Andrew, Andrew reached out. And brought Peter. And Philip will end up bringing Nathaniel to Jesus. However, we've got to note that Philip was also from Bethsaida. Same town as John, same town as Peter and Andrew. So it's very probable that Andrew and Peter and John probably knew Philip. Well, following the example of Andrew, now hang with me. This is all important. I know this. It's like being getting to know a family tree, isn't it? Following the example of Andrew, Philip goes to find his friend, Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel was from Cana. Cana was right next door to Nazareth. They were just two or three, four miles apart. Well, at that time, Cana was a bustling city, and Nazareth was just a crossroads, and we'd say didn't even have a light. It was just small. Now today, it's just the opposite. Cana is this, I've seen it, Cana is this little nothing of a village. It certainly doesn't have a light. And Nazareth is huge, I suppose, because it's a place where was Jesus was raised, became world famous, and, and it became a city. 
But then it wasn't. And so when Philip says to Nathaniel, and I love this, they record these conversations. It's priceless. And they, they talk just like us. Because Philip said, we found the Messiah. And you won't believe it. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And you know about Nazareth. And Nathaniel looks at him. He says, what? From Nazareth? You're telling me the Messiah came from that? Nothing good ever came out of Nazareth. I mean, come on now. It's like us saying, you know, what, what, what good comes out of Arkansas? I mean, you know. I'm sorry, Tyler. So now here it gets important. And if you've been asleep, wake up right now because this is huge. As Nathaniel comes to Jesus, Jesus greets him as if he knew him. He, here comes Nathaniel. Nathaniel's not said a word to him. Never seen Jesus for his life. Jesus looks at him and he says, behold, look there. There is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Well, the old translation, if you've, I think from the King James, maybe it was NIV, I don't know, was guile. Behold, the Israelite in whom there's no guile. I like that better. Deceit means lying. Fraud. Guile means sly or cunning. And I think that's more what Jesus meant. What he was saying was Nathaniel was a straightforward individual. What you see is what you get with Nathaniel. And Nathaniel responds to him as a straightforward individual. He, how do you know me? We've never met. And your, your description was accurate. He wasn't saying he's holy. He wasn't talking about how moral he was. He's just a straightforward guy. Straightforward people know they're straightforward people. And he said, how do you know me? And this is where it really gets good. He says, before Philip spoke to you, before Philip called you and said, found him aside, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, evidently, I mean, we can ask Nathaniel. I've read books and books about this, and there's all kinds of conjectures, but nobody knows. Nobody knows what that was. When you get home, you can ask Nathaniel. Maybe he'll tell you. But it, it, it may have been something religious. may have been something spiritual. It may not have been. But something took place at a specific time, a specific place that involved victory. And no one else knew about it. And Nathaniel knew no one else knew about it. And Jesus said, I saw you under a fig tree. I really do know you, Nathaniel. This was so huge. This was so big that Nathaniel looked at him and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You have to be dead. You're the, you are the king of Israel. That was his response. Now, Jesus' response to him 
is not only replied to Nathaniel, but these are fitting words to end this epic chapter and introduce the rest of the book of John. He says to Nathaniel, you're impressed because I told you of what happened under a fig tree? You're impressed with that? He said, just wait. You hadn't seen anything yet. You say, well, it doesn't say that. Yeah, it does. He says, Nathaniel, you're impressed with that? You know what you're going to see? You're going to see angels descending and ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, immediately those around him would know what he was saying. He was alluding to an experience Jacob had when he was flying from the angry Esau. Remember, Jacob stole Esau's birthright. And Esau was bigger, he was tougher, he was meaner than Jacob. Jacob was no bachelor. Esau was looking to kill him, and Jacob was running for his life. He gets to a place, he's hungry, he's tired, and he just lays down to go to bed right there. It says he used to, this is what I can't get. You see the my pillow ad, you know, he all had was a rock. I can't understand why you'd get a rock to put your head on. I just can't. There had to be other stuff there. He didn't use his cloak or anything. He used a rock. No wonder he had dreams. But he has, he has a dream. He has a dream and, and here's this ladder. And angels are going up and down that ladder between heaven and earth. And during that dream, as these angels are going up and down, God reiterates his promise that he made to Abraham. And he said, this land is going to belong to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This blew Jacob away. He knew that this was a supernatural experience. And he got a, a may have taken the rock he put his head on, but he made a, a, a monument stone, put it there to mark the place. And he called the place Bethel the house of God. Beth, the house of El, God. Well, Jesus was saying, Nathaniel, I'm the ladder that Jacob saw between heaven and earth. And you know those angels that were on, moving up and down on it? You're going to see the angels moving up and down on me. What did that mean? He was referring to the miracles Nathaniel would say. Nathaniel, you're, you're going to see you're going to see miracles that only God could do. Only a man who's God could do. You see, if you think being me telling you what I've done to the fig tree is something, just wait of what is coming. So these words at the end introduce the rest of the book of John and these coming miracles. In fact, John moves from these words. This is the end of chapter 1. Where does he go next? He goes to Cana. And what does he do at Cana? He goes to a wedding. And what does he do at the wedding? He changes the water into wine. And by the way, Cana is Nathaniel's hometown. 
That was the beginning. It goes. That's why it's, it's the next miracle. Nathaniel, I'm going to turn water into wine right in the middle of your hometown. They're fitting words to end this chapter. It's because we're the last words, the son of man. Jesus, for the first time in the book of John, calls himself the son of man. You know about this title. We talked about it. Comes out of Daniel 7, the vision that Daniel had there, one like the son of man coming on the clouds of glory. And he's, he's taken before the ancient of days. And the ancient of days gives him a kingdom that will be a kingdom forever and ever and ever, the kingdom of all kingdoms. And so Israel was waiting on the son of man to come. This was Jesus' favorite word. We talked about this. This was Jesus' favorite title. He didn't use Christ all that much. He didn't use Lord all that much. But he called himself constantly, 80 times in the Gospels, he called himself the Son of Man. And here's the first time in John. I'm the Son of Man. Why is this a fitting end to chapter 1? Because in chapter 1, in chapter 1, you have more titles given to Jesus than in any other chapter in the Bible. More titles are given in this one chapter. You know the titles. We've been there. Logos. The Word. Here's the titles. All of them are in this first chapter. Logos. The Word. The Word of God. God. The Light of Men. The True Light. The Only Begotten of the Father. Greater than John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, the only Son from the Father, the Lord, the Lamb of God, He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, Rabbi, the Messiah, He of whom Moses and the prophets wrote, the King of Israel, and then the last title, Son of Man. You try to find another chapter in the Bible that has that much. You see, the chapter is all about Jesus. He's the word before creation. And what happened? The word became flesh. Who was that? That was Jesus. That's the main point. Well, next comes John the baptizer. What was he about? Why did God create in sin John the Baptist? To prepare Israel for Jesus. This great revival. But not only that, he was also sent to be the first rabbi of Jesus' core of disciples, or his core disciples. They were John's disciples before they were Jesus' disciples. So John the baptizer was all about Jesus too. Well, that leaves us with these disciples, doesn't it? Isn't the last part of the chapter introducing how these disciples found Jesus? Let me ask you a question. We're at the end. Let me ask you a question. In the record before us this morning, did the disciples find Jesus or did Jesus seek out and find the disciples? Take Andrew and John. They are disciple of John the baptizer standing and talking to him. You think Andrew, you think Andrew and John arranged this? You think they arranged for Jesus to walk by just at that, just at that time? I don't think so. I think Jesus knew exactly. John points to Jesus. 
Hey, guys, John, Andrew, there goes the Lamb of God. Like a mother hen pushing the chicks out. They take off after Jesus. Did Andrew and John find Jesus? Or did Jesus find Andrew and John? Did they say, hey, Jesus, we're spending time with you? No. Jesus says, come on, come and see where I live. But didn't Andrew bring his brother? <laughs> yeah, he did. But we've already heard it. Jesus knew him beforehand. Hey, you're Simon Barjona. You've got a new name, Cephas, Peter, because I know what you're going to come. Samuel, Philip told Nathaniel. <laughs> but what did he say to Nathaniel? His opening sentence was, I know who you are. An Israelite with no God. Saw you under the fig tree. No, they didn't find Jesus. Jesus found them just like Jesus found us. There's not one of us that are going to get home in glory and say it was about me. I found you. I'm so smart. No. We're only there by the grace of God, the grace of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, where would John the baptizer be without Jesus? You wouldn't have heard of him. Where would these, these disciples, by the way, from the boonies, they're going to change the empire, the entire Roman empire. They changed it. They did. These men that changed the Roman empire, where would they have been without Jesus? You see, it's all about Jesus. One story in closing. Turo Toscanini was directing the Ninth Symphony. And it was one of those times that was just, quote, magic, end quote. And he was into it like he had never been. The orchestra was into it. And at the end, it's one of the greatest ovations that he ever heard. And he bowed and he bowed and he bowed. And he finally turned to the orchestra. And he said, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. He said it three times. I'm nothing. And that was very unlike Toscanini. He had a huge ego. And then he looked at the orchestra and he said, You're nothing. You're nothing. You're nothing. And then he said, Beethoven, Beethoven is everything, everything. That's what John is saying in chapter one. Jesus is everything. If my life means anything, if your life means anything, it must be about Jesus. You'll never find real meaning and lasting meaning in this world apart from him because he is everything. Our hymn is most fitting. And you say, well, John, you can't be singing that hymn. We sang it last Sunday. We did, and that's the reason I chose it. You couldn't, I couldn't get a better hymn to fit at the end of our worship this morning.